So it's a week after the holidays, and um, everything's over. I woke up this morning, and it was dark, and I turned on the news, and I thought, oh, it's depressing. And I saw that the Patriots lost to the Titans 20 to 13, and all of a sudden, the world is right again. Well, we are back in the midst of football playoff season, and uh, we are continuing our fan or follower series as we look at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus And fans are those that this morning are either happy or sad based on a football game. But the followers of Jesus are consistent and faithful throughout the process of what it means to follow him in all areas of life, in the ups and downs of life. And so 1 Corinthians sets the stage, and 1 Corinthians says that it's because Jesus is Lord that we are followers of him. An Indian philosopher, Barad Dada, said this, Jesus is ideal and wonderful, but you Christians, you are not like him. We lament the state of the world, and we know the gospel is the answer, because it's only when hearts are changed that the world is changed, but sometimes we may be the hindrance. And so we hear statements like, Christians are not like Jesus, we tend to have one of two extremes. We either become very legalistic, and we make everything about the rules and about obeying the rules, Or we go so far the other way, and we think that Jesus never had standards and always accepted everything that everyone did. But as always, there's a middle ground. And Paul is going to address that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. He says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So Paul's evangelistic principle flows from this thought when he writes to the Corinthians. So he clears the ground for unnecessary obstacles that hinder unbelievers from coming to Christ. And what does he say? He says, I become all things to all people. And he lists six kinds of people. To win as many as possible, the Jews, those under the law, those not having the law, the weak. And then he says some. And so Paul gives six examples or six illustrations of of how he does this principle. And so we think, or sometimes we have have used this, and we say, well, what that means is, I just need to become like everybody I know in my Uh, in my spheres of influence and in my world. So with this group, I'm like this. And then with this group, I am like this. And with this group, I am like this. And it doesn't matter what those groups are, but I just become like them because in order to win them. But here's the thing. Paul is not a chameleon. He doesn't adapt to his surroundings and he doesn't change who he is in the context of where he is. And so verse 19, where he says, although I made myself a slave to win as many as possible. And then he says, I become all things to all people. It has been misused in our evangelism and has been misused from missions perspectives. And we have taken it to mean that we just become like everybody, that we have no standards, we have no distinctiveness. We just become like the world. And hopefully when we become like them, they'll see how cool we are. We drink beer and smoke cigars and cuss like everybody else. And isn't that great? And I do that because I want to win them for Jesus. And we have used and misused that. Paul is not promoting situational ethics. Paul would never say to the thief, I became like a thief in order to win the thief. 
or to the adulterer. I became like an adulterer in order to win the adulterer. Paul would never do that. He's not a chameleon. And so we have to unpack this in the context and in the flow of what he's already been talking about in 1 Corinthians. He, he says, uh, he gave some harsh words to the know-it-alls. Remember the know-it-alls in chapter 8? Those were people that knew and they used their knowledge in order to be a hindrance to other people. And Paul never said to the know-it-alls, I'm going to become like a know-it-all. There are some groups that, that Paul did not list. And it's interesting, the ones that he did list. So Paul did not accommodate himself to sinful lifestyles or unacceptable doctrine of fellow believers. He didn't say, well, you believe that Jesus came in the flesh. And, oh, you don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. So I'm going to become like those that don't believe Jesus came in the flesh to win. No, he never said that. So Paul is not practicing situational ethics. He would never have stopped practicing those virtues that are always right. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Paul would never say, I'm not going to be peaceful. I'm not going to have self-control in this situation. You don't have any self-control, so I'm going to go out of control in order to win you. So these morally gray areas of life that Paul had addressed earlier, like meat sacrificed to idols, if I buy it in the marketplace, what does he do? He bends over backwards to be sensitive to the non-Christian mores of society as to not hinder people from accepting the gospel. One of the things that Paul doesn't ever say is that all aspects of culture are inherently evil, but he changes the form of its message to preserve its content. So let's, let's walk through these, and we're going to see how this works, and we have some application for us. Verse, nine, uh, verse 19, he says, I am free. Paul has made this abundantly clear in, in Corinthians. He said, I am free in Christ. I have some freedoms. I can eat whatever I want to eat. Because food, there is no spiritual value in food because idols are nothing. And because I know that, I can even eat meat sacrificed to idols. However, because I know that doesn't mean I should do that because there are those who think the meat is something. And if I eat the meat, I'm going to be a hindrance to them. And so Paul gives up his personal rights. Why? His goal is to win as many as possible. So win means to facilitate or encourage salvation. We have taken the verse sometimes that I become all things for all people. And I've heard people quote this. And what, what they're saying is they become all things to all people just so people like them. It has nothing to do with winning them for the gospel. But that was Paul's prerogative. That was his, his primary objective was to win them for Jesus. It wasn't so that people liked him or thought he was cool or thought he was not like all those other Christians. Paul's goal was to win people for Jesus. And so what does he do? He says, in these situations, here's how I play this out. So what does he say? To the Jews, I become like a Jew. Now, how does somebody who is already a Jew like Paul... He's a Christian now, but remember he gave his pedigree of who he was. How does he become a Jew in order to win the Jew? What Paul did was those Jewish peculiarities that were not a matter of salvation, Paul had no problem doing. He honored Jewish consciences. He, he ate what they ate, or he, he didn't eat what they didn't eat. He abstained from idols. He abstained from unclean things. And so Paul said, I'm going to be willing to give up some of my rights to do some things. And he differentiates between Jews and those under the law. Those under the law had that conscience about being uh, restricted by the legalism of the law. And so Paul practiced Jewish cultural habits wherever he could. 
he would have Timothy circumcised in order not to offend the Jews in Acts chapter 16. But on the other hand, he refused to have Titus circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. Why did he do this? He says, I myself am not under the law. Paul said he was not under the law as a means of salvation. He did believe in the authority of the Old Testament. However, when a Jewish person a Jewish brother, perhaps, even demanded that Paul kept the law as necessary for salvation. Paul said, no, I'm not going to do it. So when someone would say to Paul, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, Paul's like, no, you don't. And you don't have to participate in that. Uh, When someone said you had to offer sacrifices at the temple in order to be saved as a Christian, Paul says, no, I'm not going to participate in that. So what Paul did was he differentiated between being under the law for salvation and just under the law for cultural things. It's one thing to eat kosher food, but it's another thing to eat that because you think you're going to be saved by eating that. And so that's where Paul drew the line. So with the Gentiles, he says, those not having the law, that's that Gentile mission. He what? He said, I became like those not having the law. This is where we really live today with those who have no historic connection with the historic people of God, those of Abraham and his family. And so Paul says, here's how I treat those who have no law, who don't have that relationship with God through Abraham. He was equally at home in the Gentile culture as he was with the Jewish people under the law. And so what happens is Paul was familiar with the Gentiles' philosophies and arts and politics, and he could communicate the gospel to them in their frame of reference. He fellowshiped with Gentile Christians. He could eat with unbelievers, and he could even eat meat sacrificed to idols as long as it wasn't going to be a hindrance to someone else. So what Paul did was, uh, to those not having the law, I became like those not having the law. What does he mean? He didn't mean that I, I can do anything I want. He was not talking about lawlessness. What he was saying was those who were not in the community of God's people, the Jewish people, those not having the law, the Gentiles. So how did Paul treat those? He was knowledgeable. He was courteous. He was friendly toward unbelievers. He could freely fellowship with Gentile Christians in an atmosphere of perfect equality. So Paul easily moved in and out of those under the law, those not having the law. And so what does he say? It's almost like he's reading our minds. And he says, to those under the law became like those, like one under the law. Those not having the law, verse 22, I became like one not having the law. Yes! There it is. Paul says what? We don't have to obey anything. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to live by any law. Paul said to those not having the law, it became like that. Man, I can do whatever I want. Except there's a little parenthetical statement. Though, he says, I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. God's will is now summed up in Christ's law. It's the commands of Jesus. It's the commands that the apostles have given us. Paul was quick to point out he did not live lawlessly. He said, I, my, my life as a believer is not just one of libertinism. Like I can just do whatever I want, that there is no law. I'm saved by grace, and so I'll ask for forgiveness later. I'll do whatever I want. That is not Paul. What Paul was saying was the law of Moses, that ceremonial part that brought salvation, he was not under that law. But listen, we are not under law, but we are under grace. We are under the system of grace. We are not under law as a system of salvation. But that doesn't mean we don't have have commands for us to obey. 
being a Christian doesn't mean that there are no uh, uh, requirements put on us by Jesus. What are we told? Forgive as you've been forgiven, right? He says, love each other. What does he say? He, all these commands of Jesus. And, and so Paul is very clear to not make this, I'm all things to all people, meaning I can do whatever I want in whatever context I'm in. He still understood he was under the law of Christ. He wasn't under the Old Testament law as a means of salvation. And when we become believers, when we become followers of Jesus, that doesn't mean we have no commands to follow. Now, our commands that we follow are not how we're saved, but those commands are how we enjoy what? The abundant life that Jesus promised us. How we have that relationship with God. How we make the most of this life of flourishing as a believer in Jesus. And so Paul was quick to point out that the commands do not save me, but why do, we, why do we obey? Because of love for Jesus. He said that this is how you show your love for me, by doing what I say. If God looked at our lives and wanted to measure our love for Jesus, besides the songs we sing and besides the lip service we get, if he would look at our lives about how, how much we obey Jesus, how full would our love quotients be? It's a kind of a sobering thought when you think about it. But that's what Jesus said. And so we can say, I love you with my mouth, but the real proof in the pudding is what? As we obey. And so Paul says this. He says, listen, there's this thing, I, I, this, this, this goal I have is, is to win people. And so what I'm doing is I want to understand those people that I'm with, but I'm not going to sacrifice my, uh, what I understand is salvation by grace. I'm not going to sacrifice who I am in Christ. And so again, we can't go so far one way that we become lawless, but we can't go so far the other way. We become legalists. There is great liberty in Jesus and we have free decisions that we can make. Now, he mentions one more group in 22. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Who are the weak? In chapter 8, he already told us who the weak are. And that's what happens when we pull verses out of context and we pull verses out of the flow of thought that Paul had. So what Paul says about the weak, it's not a person who is morally weak. To the person who struggles with alcohol, who's weak with alcohol, Paul's not saying, I became an alcoholic. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is to the weak, to those who are still offended by me offered to idols, to those who have, don't have the knowledge that an idol is nothing, to those who may be offended by what I do, what does he say? I become like them in order that I don't exercise my rights. In fact, I curtail some of my rights so as not to offend them. What is he saying? I'm putting myself in their shoes. In their, isn't that what empathy is? It's so hard for us to be empathetic anymore. But empathy is what? It's putting yourself in someone else's circumstances, not just in their shoes, but in their circumstances of their, their, uh, their upbringing, their, their story that they bring to the table, the, the place that they live. And if we saw each other from the circumstances that we are in, how much would that change how we view people? We often view people from an on-high perspective and look down there. But if we were in that situation with those struggles and those same things in life, we would see life much, much differently. 
And that's all Paul's saying. He says, to the weak, I became like the weak. He's, working, he's mentioning those weak believers. Why? Because he wants the weak to be saved. He wants them to have this, have this salvation. And so what he says is, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. All things to all people. What does that mean? It does not mean he became a two-faced hypocrite. That didn't mean he had his church face, and then he had his friend's face. It didn't mean he had his, his church family face and then his real family face. That I'm one way here and I'm another way here. That's not what Paul is saying. It does not mean that he, he compromised doctrinal or ethical truth. It doesn't mean that Paul said that there is only one God. And then he got around people that said, you know what? There are many gods. And Paul's like, yeah, there are many gods. That's not what he said. He never compromised doctrinal truth. He never compromised ethical truth. What he did was he simply tried to project himself into each individual circumstances in order to win them for Jesus as empathy. It means that he made every attempt to understand the thinking, feelings, and actions of others. Have you ever said to some or thought about this about someone? I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they did that. Well, here's a, situ- here's, a, here's, a little, here's a little test. If you were in that same situation, would that have been a reasonable response for you? And the answer generally is, yeah, probably. Why did you blow your top and lose your cool? We only say that when we're calm, cool, and collected. But put us in a situation where we are pressured and we are uh, running behind and we have deadlines and we blow our cool, we're justified, we're rationalized. It's, it's amazing how, how we look at other people's sin and say that there's no excuse for that, but then we excuse our own. I'm tired, I'm busy, I'm this, I'm that. You just don't understand. Well, you know what? Yeah, that's right, we don't understand because we don't take the time to understand. And that's all Paul's saying. Paul has an interest in people, not as numerical conversions. He's not wanting just another check mark on his list of disciples that he has made. Paul did not patronize people. He genuinely tried to understand them and live with them in their cultural, educational, and social setting. Paul was with the people. He says that in Thessalonians. He says, what? We were, we were gentle among you like this nursing mother. We shared with you our very lives. We gave of ourselves. And so Paul was not patronizing people. He actually got to know people as persons. To the Jews, he got to know them. To those under the law, he got to know them. Those not having the law, he got to know them. And to the weak, he got to know them as well. And so he came back to his driving purpose in verse 23. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. There's an inherent blessing in fulfilling this great commission to share the gospel, is seeing people saved from their sins, to see people come to know Jesus. And here's what Paul has been saying since chapter 8 and 9, now at the end of chapter 9. He says, I am going to give up my personal rights as a response to the gospel. I, I can do this. It's not immoral. It's not illegal. It's not against God. I, I have every right to do this, whatever this is. But is this the best thing to do? Because is it going to be a hindrance to someone else? And so what Paul says is over and over, he says, I am free. I have rights. I, I'm, I'm an apostle for crying out loud. I can do all these things. And yet, me, Paul, I'm going to choose not to do those. One commentator said this, 
We would expect Paul to be the loser when he announced his intention to be a servant of all those who wanted to listen to the gospel. We would, we would, we would see the natural progression is Paul is saying, I gave up everything, I gave up everything, I gave up everything so that other people might win, and now I'm going to lose. But that's not what he says. Paul is not the loser, but the beneficiary of the blessings. Look what he says again. I do all of this. What does he do? I give up my personal rights that I have of things that I, I have every right to do. But I don't do that. I get to know people. I get to put myself into their position. Why do I do it? All for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. You see what happens? It's a win-win. We live in a win-lose world. We just do. We're in an argument, and I am going to win. And how am I going to win? I'm going to start calling you names. I'm going to start getting loud. I'm going to start throwing things. I'm going to start slamming doors. I'm going to go out and get in the car and drive. And you'll see me in a couple days, right? We are in this. We are always in a win-lose mode in life. But the kingdom is a matter of win-win. It's it's when, when you win, I win as well. And we live in this world where there's always winners and losers. It doesn't matter where you go, what what you're a part of. You think if somebody has to win, somebody's got to lose. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying this. Even though it looks like I lose by giving up my rights, I'm still the winner. Why? Because I can share in the blessings of the gospel. We have to have this win-win attitude. We don't only try to win by pushing others down or making sure they lose. But Paul says this, when I have done this, I get to share in the blessings. So what does it take to do everything for the gospel? Paul tells us, look what he says in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, This is how I live this life in order to win people for the gospel. It's a spiritual discipline to adapt to diverse cultural and situations that Paul was going to find himself in. He is referring to the specific task of being all things to all people. So we say, Paul, how do you do this? How do you become all things to all people? Well, here's how Paul says. You go into strict training. You discipline yourself. You have just got to do it. And when Paul has a hard teaching, what he does is, have you noticed? he interjects himself when he has a hard thing to say instead of saying to the corinthians hey corinthians get your act together just be disciplined do what you know you need to do and then you'll share in the gospel's blessings what does paul do he uses the first person singular i he interjects himself into the story he says the things i'm asking you to do i am doing as well His intention is that mere participation in the race is not the same as receiving the prize and the victor's crown. His fear, listen, his fear is that the Corinthians may be running in such a way that they will not receive the prize. We're going to look at this more next week as we get into chapter 10. And the question is, is Paul really saying what he's saying? Gordon Fee says this, Some interpreters cannot believe Paul is teaching that believers could fail to obtain the prize. 
He then observes that they usually come to this conclusion because of prior theological commitment, not because of what the text itself says. And so, in other words, what he says is, we bring this bias to the text, and we're like, Paul, you certainly are not saying what you're saying. But Paul is certainly saying what he's saying. He says we need to run in such a way that we don't miss out on the prize. Listen, there are no participation trophies in the kingdom of God. God doesn't say, you participated, good enough. No, what's the goal? The goal is to what? Cross the finish line. What does Paul say? I have fought the faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, right? I have fought this great fight. And so what does he say? The goal is not participating. The goal is to win. The question is, do you want to win? Do you want to cross the finish line? Or is this just something to do while we're just waiting on planet Earth and while we're just waiting and passing our lives away? Paul wants us to go into strict training. It takes two things. And here's what he says the strict training is. He says it takes what? It takes self-control. This, this strict training that literally means within strength or inner strength. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is making every effort. Athletes in the Greek games had to endure. They had this regimen of obedience, sparse diet, severe training for 10 months before a person was actually qualified to enter the game. And that's the imagery that Paul is using. He's saying, listen, in, this, in the athletic world, they have this strict training. Why? They, listen, they are, they're just going to get a Super Bowl ring. They're good. They have trained and they have watched their diet and they have done all kinds of things. And what are they going to get in the end? A, 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 a stupid Super Bowl ring. But we're going to get a crown that lasts forever. That ring can be melted down into a, into a fork and knife set. But our crown's going to last forever. And Paul says if athletes do that, if athletes go into strict training, how many of you have boxes at home full of trophies that you got when you were in school sports, right? Or you don't even know where they are, or you got rid of them already. And at the moment, they seem so important. We're like, this thing, I'm going to keep this thing forever. And it's only temporary. And Paul says, if athletes do that, how much more should we as believers do that? Because we get a crown, what? That lasts forever. And the second thing he says is that he beats his body. He, what does he do? It, 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 he pummels his body. Really, what, literally what it means is to give a black eye by striking the face. So Paul is figuratively saying this. I beat my body black and blue to keep it under control. Now listen, Paul is not promoting self-flagellation. We've all seen the pictures of the monks in the Middle Ages. They got the things and they're walking around, and, and Paul is not teaching that. We are to have respect for these bodies that God has created. So Paul is not saying, literally, that we are to be our bodies black and blue, because what he says in Colossians is that severity to the body has no spiritual value anyway. But he says you've got to do something. You can't always be at the control of your own flesh. What it feels like sometimes in this strict training is, is that I'm beating myself, right? Like you, like you just have to do it, but we don't do it on our own. We have the power of the Spirit. We have the power of God's Word that we looked at last week. We have all the resources that God has given to us. And so Paul says, here's how I become all things to all people. Self-control, and I, 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 I'm, I'm, this, I'm this disciplined, have this disciplined lifestyle. You know, there's a difference between walking up to someone, and we have seen that, right? You know somebody doesn't like you and they smile. And then you know somebody that really loves you and they smile, right? Like, we, we know the difference. One is patronizing, 
and one is real. And Paul says, here's how you have the real deal. You have to be disciplined. And, and you have to discipline your body so that that smile is not just, <laughs> but it's real. And it's genuine. How do you do that? Well, to the Jews, you become like a Jew. To those not having the law, you do this. To the weak, you do this. Right? You empathize and you understand people. And he says, I run for the prize. What is the prize? The prize is an imperishable crown. It's this, it's this uh, shadow boxer. If you've ever tried to shadow box, uh, it is hard, right? But he said, this is what, they, what they, uh, the philosophers in Greece, that's how they used to describe their opponents. So just the shadow box, right? Let me at them. And, and, and they, they looked at them as, not, as, as, as imaginary. Listen, athletes set goals, and Paul wants us to understand that, and their goal is always to win. And believers, we are also to set goals as well. We are to win, but it's a win-win, right? We win others for Christ, and then we win as well the blessings of the gospel. We win the prize. We are willing to give up whatever's necessary to attain this higher potential that God has for us. From time to time, we, we verbally share our faith, explain our moral commitments, but that involves, it involves more. Sharing the gospel involves more. We, we love the hit-and-run gospel. Have you ever seen those tricks that people do? It looks like money, and they'll put it on the floor, and then somebody goes and picks it up. There's a $20 bill, and they pick it up, and it's a track. And on the back it says, God loves you. <laughs> and there's a few scriptures. Now think about it. If you saw that $20 bill... And you picked it up and you thought it was real. And then you realize it was some kind of sick joke. Are you going to want to follow Jesus? Are you going to want? You're going to be like, who, who did this? But here's what Paul says. You get to know the people that you're with. There's no such thing as this hit and run gospel. Whether at work or play or church or in the world, we're never off duty. And so what he says is, it closes with this, with this fitting reminder in verse 27. He says that wh- whatever it is, we should, never take, um, our, we should never take success for granted. We never retire. This self-controlled Christian life extends from now until the end of our days. 1 Corinthians 9.22, the New Living Translation says this. This, this sum perfectly summarizes what Paul is telling us at the end of chapter 9. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Common ground with what? Everyone. Paul's challenging us that there are not groups of people that we just write off and say, no way. Paul's saying, I tried to find common ground with everyone. It's called contextualization of the gospel, finding common ground. Here's, here's three things I think we can glean from Paul as he tells us how to do this. The first one is this. We serve others as, though, as those created in God's image. What Paul does is he, he models his friendship evangelism. What he does is he comes alongside um, um, unbelievers and he values them as God's creation in his image in and of themselves. You have never met a person that was not created in God's image. Now, that image may be marred. <laughs> it may be hard to see, but it is still there. You have never locked eyes with any person who was not created in God's image. And so what Paul is challenging us is we just serve people, not for what we can potentially get out of it, not for the thing that we may receive, but we just serve them because they are creatures created in God's image. Every person you serve, you are serving someone created in God's image. But we always look for the strings. We always look for the thing, right? I, I do this for this person, hoping to get something back. I'm going to do this for you, hoping that you become a believer. Paul's like, no, you just serve people. 
people made in God's image. Jews, under the law, not under the law, the weak. When we become familiar with each person's unique hopes and fears, then we can speak directly into their concerns. We live in such a fast drive-by society, we don't really get to know people. And Paul's challenging us, get to know people. We all have the same fears. doesn't matter who we are, where we come from. We, we fear tomorrow. We fear for our kids. We fear for well, all kinds of things. We all have hopes and aspirations. And so what Paul's reminding us is, you just serve other people as those created in God's image. No strings. Just serve them. Because everybody you give something to in a way of service, you are serving the image of God in them. You are validating their worth and their, their, their unique createdness as a creature made in God's image. And so Paul's challenging us, us to do that. Paul's also challenging us this, is to cultivate friendships with non-Christians. The most important lesson from these verses is a choice of companion, who we cultivate friendships with. Listen, it's a struggle, I know. Everybody's busy. We barely get time to get from point A to point B. But many Christians barely know any non-Christians well enough to share their faith in less than a superficial situation. And Paul's challenging us to get to know people, to, 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 to get to know others that we maybe wouldn't normally get to know. There's ministries to the outcasts, the marginalized of our societies, all those people that are generally written off, Paul says, get to know them. You get to know them. All things to all people. What Paul does is he gives it to us as a challenge. That there, He says, listen, there's people that need to know Jesus. And if you don't get to know them, nobody may get to know them. So you're the one that needs to get to know them in order to lead them to Jesus. You say, well, that's hard. That's tough. It's, it's very difficult and Paul then reminds us of this third thing, is sacrifice personal pursuits for the gospel. In our day of entertainment and leisure, and everything's on demand, we were laughing about this uh, a couple of days ago. I was talking with somebody. If you grew up in the 70s when the Christmas shows came on, like Off the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Frosty the Snowman, it came on one time. You had one shot to catch that show. It was Tuesday night on CBS at 8 o'clock. We ain't going anywhere, kids. We're staying home and watching Frosty. What do we do now? Watch it on demand. In fact, you could probably watch it on your phone right now if you wanted to. If you wanted to. Just because you could doesn't mean you should. <laughs> but we live in this kind of world. And so Paul's challenge for us is what? Is this discipline and this, this dictativeness. Every, everything we do for the kingdom competes with what? television and sporting events and outdoor recreation and getting believers to do things together because we all have things what drawing for our time and drawing for our attention and so what paul does is he compares the evangelistic lifestyle believers to athletes who sacrifice normal pursuits for the sake of strict training and a competitive edge when it comes to the gospel paul is challenging us to give up this, even though it's good, in order to be part of the kingdom and do kingdom work. Why are we striving for whatever that thing is when it's so very temporary? I'm striving for a crown that's going to last forever. And what it means is that I have to sacrifice personal pursuits for what? For the gospel. 
That's the difference between the fans and the followers. People who make commitments to Christ, to a, a, a body of believers, and they say, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to be there. I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. I'm going to do the thing I need to do. And I'm, I may have to sacrifice some personal things. And that goes so against the grain in our, moder- in our, in our culture, in our world today. If you've ever tried to send out an RSVP, people don't RSVP anymore. You know why? It's not because they don't know what it means. It's not because they don't remember. It's because they're waiting in case something else may come along. So if you, are, if you ask somebody to RSVP for a party at your house and they have not responded, they're waiting to see if there's something better than you. But that's what we're doing. It's the truth. And it doesn't feel so good when it's personal, does it? Why haven't my friends responded to this? Well, they're just waiting for a better invitation. But how dare we do the same with the Lord? Lord, I can't be there because, you know, God's like, I I don't know. I don't get it. Jesus showed up and hung on the cross, and you can't even show up. I don't get it. We want to bend God so far down and say, Lord, surely you understand. And I'm convinced God doesn't understand. He just doesn't. He's like, what's wrong with you? Listen to what Paul's saying. I run the race. I beat my body. That means I'm not there. I'm here. I'm doing the thing. We can rationalize and justify until the the cows come home and we are going to miss the prize. Because of our focuses and our priorities. And, and Paul is challenging us. Sacrifice personal pursuits for the gospel. For the kingdom. We say we love Jesus. But it actually comes in our time. And where we spend our time. You see this evangelistic contextualization is exactly what God did in sending Jesus. John 20 verse 21 says, As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I am sending you. Jesus was sent by God. We know that. We just celebrated Christmas. That's when Jesus came. And so Jesus said, because God sent me, now I'm sending you. Jesus was on a mission, right? He came to what? Seeking to save the lost. He came, we looked last week, to destroy the works of the devil. He came for a reason and a purpose. And Jesus is saying, as as God sent me, now I'm sending you. As believers, we are sent ones. But we love to be sitting ones. (laughs) We love to sit around and talk about how bad the world is and how wonderful we are and all the things. And God's like, this isn't going to work, people. You got to go. You got to go. And love the people around you and serve the people around you and and cultivate friendships with non-Christians. Listen, non-believing is not contagious. If you're friends with a non-believer, it's not contagious. In fact... The gospel should be contagious. It should go the other way. And so we wall ourselves off and we restrict ourselves and we do all of that. And we say, well, I just, I, I just, I, I just got to be here. And Paul is reminding us to just love people. Just love people. People created in God's image. People as those who, who he has created, who he once saved. And he's only going to do that through us. Don't you know, Paul says... All the runners run. If you've ever seen the Marine Corps Marathon, the New York City Marathon, the starting line is crowded with people. 
there's balloons and there's all kinds of excitement and kaboom, the gun goes and it's a, it's a mass of people and they're all running down the street. Have you ever been at the finish line? <laughs> one, one, right? One, get back up, one, right? What happened to the crowds? They all started, but they're not all finishing. So Paul reminds us, participation is not the point. Finishing is the point. And the gospel is the point. As we come time to a, a time of challenge, a time of just uh, of invitation of, of, Lord, what are you inviting me to do to how to participate in your kingdom? How to how to uh, give up self for the gospel, how to do all of those, all of those things in order for the gospel. Just get what it takes is a better vision. He says, I don't run aimlessly. But what do I do? I do it to get a crown, right? There's, there's, there's a focus point that we, are, that we are focused on, and it's the crown. And it's the goal. And those runners in the race who are running, they're not looking back at the finish line, and they're not saying, man, those last three miles, they were great. They were awesome. I just wish it was like it was back three miles ago. <laughs> no, they're looking ahead. They're moving on. They're putting one step and foot in front of the, in front of the other. And that's how we win the race. We just do the thing. 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 And where's the goal? The, the vision is on the goal. It's not like, whew, remember that, remember that starting line? <laughs> no, it's the goal. We're, we're headed somewhere. It's the goal. It's the prize that Jesus has for us. Would you run the race that Jesus has? Not just to run. If I'm just running, I'm, I'm just shadow boxing. I mean, you can throw your shoulder out just shadow boxing. You know that? We had a lady a couple years ago. Her grandsons bought the Wii. Remember when the Wii came out? And there was all this uh, talk about make sure you use the strap because people were throwing it through their TVs and, and all kinds of things were happening. And she came in, and she was probably in her 60s, and she had a sore shoulder. Like, Louise, what happened to you? I was playing the Wii sports with my grandkids. And there's no resistance. <laughs> she's swinging and she's boxing and she's bowling and there's no resistance. And she threw her shoulder out. Listen, you can get hurt shadow boxing. You might as well get hurt doing the real deal. You might as well get in the race. And right? It's, it's, it's one thing punching a shadow. You might as well punch something real. Sin and Satan and the world and, and keep on going. Would you please stand and we're going to pray. Father, Paul has always challenged us to live a life of self-sacrifice. And, and Father, if we're, if we're honest, um, we like our comfort. And we like to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. But God, thank you for the challenge of Paul, who says, I don't want to be disqualified, and I'm in there with you. And I want to encourage you to run this race as well. So, Father, would you give us a vision of the, of the imperishable crown of the race? Father, of those who don't know Jesus for the sake of the gospel. Father, just challenge us to sacrifice our own personal pursuits for the gospel, however that looks. We thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.